Well, good evening. Thank you for joining us for our final installment in our Holy Sexuality series. And uh, this one is called The Talk. If you think that we're going to have the talk with you about the birds and the bees, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, a little bit different take on the Ooh, talk. I should have prepared something different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should have talked about this. This is going to be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to start by flashing one of those QR codes on the screen. You've seen these a bunch lately. Blake, explain to them why this is up there. All right, so if everyone can take out their phones and open your camera and point it at that QR code, those of you who have a smartphone, it will give you a chance to click a link and that link's going to take you to a form that will be useful later on in our discussion. It's actually a place where you can submit a question anonymously. It'll come to our email, and unless you put your name in it, we won't know who it came from. And for the last maybe 10 or 15 minutes of the talk, we're going to attempt to respond to at least a handful of those questions. No promises, we'll respond to all of them. Yes. But we'll do our best. Yeah, so. we, we can kind of filter, too. We reserve the right to do that. Uh, yes, so, we do. Yeah. So thank you for being here, you know, just to give you an update on where we're at. We started this series on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago, and I talked about how um, we are to respond or how we are to uh, navigate the cultural waters when it comes to this topic of sexuality and how our culture will try to sell you on the idea that sexuality is everything about you, and it's not. I, I repeat, it's not. The number one thing about you, your identity is lost in Jesus Christ. Uh, that says everything about you. The fact that you were made in the image of God says everything about you. Your sexuality is a component part of who you are. It's important, but it's not most important. Our society will try to sell you on that, but that's not true. And then we talked about Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God created or do you believe that everything happened by chance? Because that's really going to tell which direction you're going to go in this conversation. And it shouldn't surprise us if people don't believe that statement that they don't agree with us on ethics and so sexual ethics and so we talked about how to deal with that as well then we talked about conviction plus compassion how we have to have a balance you don't you know, have a bird that has one wing is going to be imbalanced not going to be able to fly straight and so you have to have both wings you have to have conviction and compassion and uh, certainly when it comes to this topic we understand the conviction of the bible and what it holds dear the truth that it has concerning this topic but also we lead with compassion and love for those who don't agree and then, so then we talked about biblical versus cultural ethics. And I mean, y'all kind of set the framework for that in place already, but we really dug into how our culture has, has taken our, our bodies and, and attempted to divorce them from this in, inner being who we are. And so, so from that kind of uh, process comes a lot, of, a lot of problems with our sexuality, where all of a sudden um, our bodies matter less and what's inside and, and, and really learning to express yourself fully is, is the goal in life. And, and because we've defined ourselves as inherently sexual beings, our culture has, that's why we see so many of the, the problems that we see arising from our cultural se sexual ethics. So we talked a lot about that and the implications that that has as mm -hmm. we're having conversations um, with, with non-believers and, um, and kind of where how we have, as a church have maybe adopted some of those some of those beliefs a little bit without recognizing it. And it's kind of led to some, some problems um, 
uh, amongst ourselves as well. It has. And then yeah. last week I pulled rank as the senior minister and said, you're going to yeah. preach on pornography. And he, and I was against it. <laughs> and so if you want to hear why, you could watch that sermon. But you did so a fantastic we, job talking. We really about don't want to rehash. No, we, we did. We talked about pornography. We talked about how, how God has always been concerned, not just about our actions, but about our desires and our heart. And I mean, pornography, pornography is a problem and it's a problem for a lot of different reasons. It's still so much more from us than, yeah. than we realize. We often view it as a lesser sin, but it's not. Right. Um, and, it, and it's contributing in a lot of ways to a lot of problems that we're seeing in our culture and in the church. And, and I, I hope as we got to the end of that lesson, we left with some hope, um, maybe that pertains to all of our sexual struggles, because, you know, there's, a, there's an element of an element of behavior change that we just can't do for ourselves. Right. And, and so we talked a lot about how we, how we submit ourselves to the, to the working of God through, through spiritual disciplines and, and open our heart for Him to work on us. And I think that's really the right first step as we're working to, to walk through some of these real struggles that we have. I mean, we struggle with our sexuality. We do. And, and we don't talk about it enough, but just because we're here, just because we're in this room, or just because you've been married for 20 or 30 or 40 years doesn't mean that there's not wounds from, from past decisions and, mm -hmm. and uh, our own or, or decisions of others, and, and we wrestle with it. And talking about it is, uh, is, is something that's highly important. That's so. what this, tonight is about, yes. uh, having conversations. Um, and what do those conversations look like? Sure. I think we said it in the first lesson, I believe I said it, is that everybody around us is talking about sexuality. And the church has exercised its right to remain silent in a lot of cases, and we don't need to be doing that. Yes. Uh, we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about what God created. And so that's the basis of this entire series, but also tonight as we discuss what these conversations should look like. And you and I have discussed this before we got up here. There's, there's different conversations depending on who you're talking to. Right, right. right. So we, we start with kids. Right. So we start with, with the young, and we both agree, I don't think you start with the details, with the real young ones, you know. We <laughs> no. don't start with anatomy and things of that nature, but we kind of set the tone for the cultural conversation. And I think it's important for our kids to understand that it's okay to ask questions right. because um, I'm where I'm at today because I ask questions. Right. Right. I grew up in a different background. I asked a lot of questions. I found when I came into the church that um, not everybody valued questioning. Right. And in fact, would kind of peg you as, why are you asking that? What, are you liberal or, you know, no, I'm asking questions because it's important to ask questions. I wouldn't be here if I didn't ask questions. And I think it's okay to ask questions I think there gets to be a point where it's silly, but overall, I think it's good to ask questions, and certainly when it comes to this topic, or really any topic, right? Well, and we certainly want our homes to be a place where our kids are, are most comfortable asking questions, even difficult questions about, about sexuality and things like that. And I mean, that could be really awkward as parents if you wait till they're teenagers to have that discussion. Um, but if you, if you cultivate an environment um, where, you know, no question is off the table when you're very young, um, I think that kind of naturally lends itself to answering more and more difficult questions as time goes on. So it really is important to, to start with just understanding the, the culture, the, the environment that you're cultivating and the way that you're responding to and interacting with your children. Um, 
You know, in our house, we've not, you know, we have a three, five, and seven. Is that right? Yep. Three, <laughs> three five, and seven. It's been confirmed. <clears throat> and with Braxton, we've started having some of those conversations already, um, even more pointed conversations about our sexuality. Um, I, have a, I have a funny story about that. Yeah, let's hear Since it. the kids are all gone, I can tell you all right. See, I don't tell them we're talking about them. It's our secret. But we were, uh, we were getting ready for church, and I was looking over my notes. I thought, well, I'll practice what I preach a little bit, have a conversation with my kids. So I said, hey, Blair. Um, I said, who made you? And she said, God. So anyway, so that was good. And I asked Brooklyn. She said, God. And I asked Braxton. He said, well. And he kind of looked at his mom, and he said, I think you all did, but I don't really want to talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's good. We can talk about it when your sisters aren't here. <laughs> So, this is the same kid who walked by my office and said, could you keep it short? I want to go play in the gym. Yeah, so, yeah. so sorry to all of our peers when your kids find out sooner than you want them to. It's probably from Braxton. Please let me know. I've told him not to share with his friends, but you know how kids are. I think we're naive to think that they're, they're not hearing about this till they get older. You know, I mean, I was five years old when I first, I can remember a conversation with one of my friends and with social media and the advent of all yeah. that, I mean, I, I think we would be burying our head in the sand to, th to say, well, this is not a conversation we need to have until they're teenagers. Right? I was in the third grade when I had the conversation with my parents. One of my cousins told me a joke, mm -hmm. and a dirty joke, and so I told my, the dirty joke to one of my cousins, Lauren, who used to go here, and Lauren told the joke to her parents, and then they told my parents, and then I got to have the talk with my parents yeah. in third grade. So. <laughs> It was, um, but that, I mean, that was in third grade. You said you were first exposed when you were five, and, and we live in a different world than, than, well, that was a long time ago, yeah. than 20-something years ago. And, and so I, I do think that it's important that we get out ahead of it. You know, just the other day, Brooklyn was watching a, a show, Pinkalicious is the name of the show. It's one that we've kind of watched with her, and it uh, has seemed pretty safe, and, you know, they're fancy in that show, and she likes it. And... And it's just kind of running in the background, and Brianna's listening, and in come one of her friends with her two moms. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just, it's just subtly introduced at this, at this young age, just this, you know, this kind of undermining of this biblical sexual ethics being, being put out there earlier and earlier and earlier. And if the world's going to be talking about it, we have to be talking about it too. I agree. And so I think that it's important that we're cultivating an environment where questions can be asked. I think it's important that we are pushing our kids and, and kind of getting out ahead of some of those issues. And it may make you uncomfortable. You may feel like it's a little younger than you want it to be, but the conversations need to happen. Um, we have to be monitoring the inputs and understanding um, that the messages are, especially yeah. in, from the public school system, there's going to be a lot of exposure just from their peers and really be proactive. Yeah. In, in addressing some of these with our kids. I think be willing to build some cages around some things in your mm -hmm. house the TV, mm -hmm. you know, other things. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a supply line that comes yeah. into your home and we, we supply information to our kids knowingly or unknowingly sometimes, whether it be through the computer or TV, you know, building some cages around those. When my oldest daughter was probably four, she was in her room playing and my mother had HBO. Mm -hmm. And so she had the kids shows that came up on HBO and she right. would tape them on VCR and give us the tape so she could watch them. And one day Keely comes in and says something completely out of line, out of character. I mean, I know she didn't know what it meant, but it was horrendous what she said. 
And I'm thinking, where did she hear that? Because we monitor pretty well what she, what she watches and all that. Well, my mom would put the VCR tape in and record the show and leave it. So it would record everything until the tape ran out. And there was a uh, G.I. Jane, I think was the movie, that was on afterwards. And so we'd put it on, push play, and it would just play through and had no idea that that was what was on after. Right. And she was getting this, you know, every time she watched it, I guess. And so we told her, you know, Keely, that's not appropriate. And we explained it to her. But I think it's important, too, that, that she knew that even at a young age, okay, I, I messed up, but my parents understood that I didn't know better. I mean, if I had come down hard in that case, she may have never felt comfortable coming to me again. Right. And so I think, you know, you, you say we need to practice our, um, I'm not shocked. I'm not face. shocked face. I yes. like that. And I yeah. think, I think as our kids get older, especially parents and, and I think that this is a face we need to learn just as Christians yeah. to practice, but the, I'm not shocked face the, your first response when someone, when a sin is uncovered or a sin is confessed or a problem arises <clears throat> often sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's, really important to practice controlling how we respond, especially when we find out that our kids have done something or been exposed to something or, or said something yeah. that disappoints us. So we can respond in a way that's productive and keeps those doors of conversation open. Right. So that's, that's getting more into the teenage years. We talked yes. about with your younger kids, when they get more to be teenagers, we still stay engaged. The door needs to stay open for conversations with our kids. And mm-hmm. I think it's important not not assuming your child is self-regulating. Because I, I, I saw it as a teacher and a coach and probably have been guilty of it a little bit too. A lot of parents have a little higher estimation of their kids, that, you know, and they're good kids, don't get me wrong. Uh, I had a lot of parents that had, you know, I had their kid in class and their kid was a good kid. They weren't the angel they thought they were, you right. know. And, and they assumed that their kid was self-regulating or re- they were a kid and your kids will do things. And they will try things and they will look at things. And, and I think we need to, I wouldn't say assume the worst in our kids, but I, I don't think we need to assume that they're self-regulating. Just as, you know, we wouldn't assume that they were terrible kids. You know, I, I, did your kid, did your teenager do something wrong, but they're really just a good kid at heart and they did something wrong? Or are they a bad kid that fooled you into believing they're a good kid? You know, I think most of us would say, well, our kid's a good kid. They just messed up, right? right. Because kids do. Um, but I think you really do yourself a disservice going into this thing, assuming that your kid is the angel that never messes up. It's really a balancing act because you have to, you have to extend an appropriate amount of freedom while keeping an appropriate amount of boundaries in place. I yeah. mean, because we don't want our kids to be 20 years old and exposed to things for the first time and start learning how to self-regulate. Yeah. But at the same time, um, we need a realistic um, understanding of, of the self-control that our kids are capable of exerting yep. even when they're younger. And that's going to be very individualized based on the child. I mean, that's where parents being engaged and, and, and monitoring what they doing their best to have a, a, a clear, unbiased picture of their child is really helpful. Um, and, I, and I would say that that's where we often struggle and it's so important to be a part of a community where we have others who can help. You know, oftentimes when it comes to our kids, um, we'll take a lot of feedback in a lot of different areas, but when it comes to our kids, we don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, and I think that it's important that we keep our ears open um, 
and, and accept the help from the community. Not only do we need the input of others who maybe can observe better than us, our kids need relationships with others who are not their parents. Yeah. And, and so it really, I think in our notes we had the phrase, it takes a village. Yep. It, it really takes a village, and we especially see this uh, happening during the teenage years and on. I mean, it's really important for our young people to con- be connected with other people. Absolutely. Who will, who, who will encourage them and, and have relationships with them, um, people who they can ask questions to when you're not very smart right. <laughs> and you don't know what's, right. what's going on. And, you know, they grew up, I grew out of, my parents grew out of their silly phase eventually, and I'm sure most of y'all will too who have teenagers. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it, it's important that we're all doing this together. I, I think it's also important, and, and I'm not critiquing our parents here. I mean, I'm not saying that our parents don't realize this, so don't think that I'm lecturing you by any means, but I I think it's important as parents, and one thing I've had to to learn in the process is my kids don't think like I do. Mm -hmm. They don't think like I do today, and they don't think like I did as a kid. Um, Certain things that I felt were just pretty well black and white, they don't see it that way. Right. And I think it's important instead of just assuming, you know, or demanding that you come up to my level of reasoning on this, that we try to, to try to help them to understand, but also understand where they're coming from. And uh, there, are, there are things we can be really passionate about yeah. um, that maybe aren't as important as we make them out to be. Right. And I think that it's important to focus on the foundational, um, impactful issues as we're interacting with our teenagers and, and maybe not get drawn off into the weeds as yeah. quickly as we often do. Maybe pick the sword you're going to fall on, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, talk a little bit about public and private conversations. You know, there's, there's certain conversations that we have like this in a public forum or on a podcast or on a sermon, and then there are private conversations that we have behind closed doors. Um, obviously, those are, are different, right? I've really wrestled with that um, because, for instance, when you stand up behind the pulpit, there's certain things that have to be shared, certain, certain truths that need to be communicated about what's right and what's wrong. Um, and so how do, we, how do we have those important public conversations in a way that don't isolate those who are really in need of private conversations? Uh, I think seldom, seldom are we going to gain ground you know, in the private lives of individuals with this, this public um, um, display of information. Um, yeah. And so we have to be really careful that we understand the importance of speaking the truth, that we understand the importance, I mean, even out of the pulpit in, uh, I mean, how we in, engage in our culture as a whole and, and push for and hope for uh, laws that uphold the biblical sexual ethic. Uh, I don't think that it's wrong to be involved in some of those discussions, but oftentimes we, we get so carried away with this public um, method of just shouting the truth out that we forget that the real, the real gains to be made are probably one-on-one with people you have relationships with and the, where you can navigate and, and, and coach and encourage and answer the real questions that they're having on a, in a very personal way. Yeah, Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. 
And that word speak there mm-hmm. is more conversational than a sermon. Right. I don't know that we always see that. But right. if you look at the Greek, uh, we're not talking about a formal sermon there. We're talking about more of a conversation. Right. doesn't mean you don't preach the truth, too, in love. But right. Paul seems to be talking more about conversation. Maybe even one-on-one, but conversation that you're having. And I, I've said it before, I, you know, it's an each one reach one principle. You mm-hmm. know, you, you, uh, I think you change the world truly one soul at a time. Well, I agree. And I, and I think you're kind of throwing this out there, too. We have to be really careful on social media. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of damage is done in how we, I mean, present this in this public forum. Because oftentimes we have conversations that should be had in private yeah. in a very public way kind of not recognizing um, the way that it's thrown out there. So um, caution on social media would be advisable. We don't want to ruin our influence. No, we really don't. And I mean, I I do think we have to recognize this because of the culture that we live in. You are going to be viewed as an unloving. uh, You know, I often, I spent a lot of time thinking, if I can just learn to communicate the truth and love, they're going to see it. You know, if we can just learn to communicate this right, it's going to be received. And, and the truth is, we live in a culture, especially when it comes to sexual ethics, where just saying the truth, by definition, um, puts you in opposition yeah. to, to those. It puts you in the category of oppressive and, and a bigot. And so some of that, we have to be able to brush off and recognize that's not reality. This really is the biblical definition of love, is to encourage and push for this way of living. This, God knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. Yeah. Um, it, we're not always going to be able to, to speak in a way that everyone loves it. We're going to have to say things that people don't like. Yeah. Um, but we need to be careful the way that we do it. And, and we need to be careful that we keep as many doors open as possible so that we can do the meaningful work of interacting with people one-on-one. Well said. We got a bunch of questions. I know, and my computer's not showing the preview like I was expecting, <laughs> so we're going to have to look at them one by one. Okay, let's see what questions we have. That was Chris's nice way of saying, stop talking, Blake. No, not at all. Here, let's see. Let's go down here at the beginning. I'm speaking for the group, right? <laughs> okay. So this one, I'll go back to that one. Okay. Explain how you would respond to an accusation of being hateful by believing in two genders and the Bible and the biblical definition of marriage. Well, I mean, obviously, I don't think you apologize for that because that is a God-centered view. Um, and, and I think you actually just handled that pretty well. I was going to follow up that, uh, that with this statement. You've heard me say it before. If everybody hates you because you're preaching the truth, or speaking the truth, something's wrong. You're not doing it right. If everybody hates you, something's wrong. However, if everybody loves you, you're probably doing something wrong because Jesus was loving, he was compassionate and convicted, and yet they hung him on a cross. Some followed him, others hung him on the cross. So I think the answer to that question is exactly what you just said a moment ago, is that I don't know that we can, that we can convince everyone to come around to our way of thinking or, or even to like us, you know, because some of it is just going to put you at odds just because you believe something that is biblical. There is a lot of just hatred towards a biblical ethic or a God-centered view because it's a God-centered view or because it's a biblical ethic. There's just animosity there. 
and you may not be able to overcome that. I think one of the most important things we could do is live in a loving way. Yeah. And, and I, you're, not, you're gonna be accused of, of not being loving, but I think we need to live and interact with our society in a loving, patient, gentle way, and, and that's gonna have to be enough. Uh, I think that the, the, fruit, the fruit will be displayed yeah. over time, and I so agree. I think it's important how we live. I hope you can read that. This is, this is uh, smaller than I was expecting. This is more challenging than I was <laughs> it expecting is. it to be. Yeah. You go ahead. Let's see. With the LGBTQ plus agenda being forced in today's culture to be pervasive, how do we demonstrate love in these conversations while still expressing the truth without alienating or coming across as homophobic? Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think we've kind of hit on that with what we just stated, but, um, you know, I can't control how someone's going to react towards me completely, but I can certainly control how I deliver that message and how, I, I, I mean, it's kind of like I told my son when he was playing sports is if, we, if you lose that game, it's not because of what you did, right? You did everything you could and left it all out on the field, and if you still lost, well, I mean, you walked away saying, I gave everything I had, and I think it's the same way in these kind of conversations is I'm doing everything to possible to present myself in a loving Christian way while still being convicted and still presenting God's truth. And, and that's got to be enough, right? Um, and some are going to accept that and some are going to turn away from it. And, you know, the labels are always going to be there nowadays, homophobic, whatever, you know, homophobia is an, unre uh, phobia is an unreasonable fear, right? And I, I, so it's a misnomer to begin with. I don't think any of us have an unreasonable fear of, of a homosexual or a homosexual community. But, um, you know, it's, even as I say all this, it's difficult because it is pervasive. It is a forced agenda in a lot of ways. Um, it does require you, almost forces you to buy in even against your will. And so that, that's tough. And so how do you balance that out? And I, I think at the end of the day, you have to remember the big picture and you have to remember what our number one responsibility and focus is, which is to be Christ in a world that is dark and needs a light. Right. And some will accept that, some won't, right? I have a question here. Um, how do you state transgendered and gay people have chosen wrongly to our kids so they can be passionate, respectful, yet clear about what's godly and accepted in society? Um, and so, uh, I mean, the way that I would answer this one is uh, I think that we use Scripture as, as the basis to help our kids understand how God created us male and female. Um, I think that it's okay to tell our children that people have, are incorrect in, in what they believe about themselves. I think it's important to root our children's understanding of identity and sexuality in what we see in Scripture. So I would take them to Genesis 1. I would talk about God creating people male and female. And, uh, I mean, that's really the starting place. That can be a different conversation depending on, uh, you know, depending on the age of our children. Uh, I think the real problem comes how can they be passionate and respectful, yep. you know, uh, and, and that's the question we've been responding to, I think, the last two or three. It's a challenge. We're not always going to be viewed as, as respectful, but 
And transgenderism, it, it, it gets tough because, you know, if, if, if I go in and I've got blockage in four arteries and my heart's bad, you know, that doesn't offend me. The doctor tells me my heart's bad. But if, but if a psychologist tells me my brain's not quite right, well, right. That, that, that now has become offensive. And I believe that transgenderism is not just a feeling emotional issue. Right. I believe it's much deeper than that. And I believe it is a mental issue in, in a lot of ways. And I believe that uh, it has to be addressed at a mental level. And uh, that gets difficult. And so I think um, making sure that, you know, our kids understand that, um, that there is, there's more to this. You know, we talk about gender dysphoria and now, you know, we're trying to, as a society, kind of sweep that under the rug. We, we just want everybody to be their best self no matter what it is. But no, there's, there's real issues here that have to be dealt with. And especially, um, I mean, you just look at the statistics with gender reassignment surgery and those things. I mean, the suicide rate goes up. It doesn't right. go down. Uh, right. it, there, there's a lot of problems associated with not addressing at a mental level. And so uh, I think, you know, how deep you want to get into that with your kids, um, you know, uh, it just depends on their age, I think. So I'm not going to read this question word for word, but I'll, uh, I'll kind of, the, the gist of this question is talking about uh, sex within marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically asking what is, what is okay? Um, in other words, uh, are there any boundaries on what's uh, acceptable to, to do sexually in the context of marriage? Yeah. I would say have fun. I would say, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would, so. <laughs> I, almost, I almost said it this way, what you do with your spouse behind closed doors in your bedroom, that's your business, and you know, that's, a, that, that's, that's your, your matter, but I guess you could get really into some, some things there, so I don't know if I, could, if I could go that far with it, but. We are called to mutual submission yes. and love for one another. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's important that that is a top priority um, in, in all of the ways that we interact. And one of those is in how we s interact with one another sexually. Yeah, because I've been asked questions, and I don't know if you have as well, uh, through the podcast and other forums where people will say, well, what about watching pornography as a couple, as a married couple? What about making our own pornography? Th those kind of things. Th right. Those get into some things that you're like, Whoa, hold on, pump the brakes here, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, so I, I can see how that, that can go into some areas that are very dicey. And certainly, I believe that pornography, even if you're watching it as, as a couple, uh, can still, I mean, you talked about it last week, still has an effect on you mentally and can cause, yes. still cause issues, even if, even if you are married and you're watching it as a couple. Um, and so I, I do think that there are limits, but like you said, you know, having fun. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when Church of Christ used to, you know, we talk about dancing, you know, if I dance with my wife, that's okay, you know, and whatever that leads to is okay. Yeah. My answer was shorter. Yes, it was. <laughs> I can't get this crowd to laugh at me for anything, and they laugh at you. Well, you gave me the topics that are... <laughs> I think we have time for one more. Do we have time for one more? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's try to get something with some... Let's, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about boundaries in that dating. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the kind of the heart of what that question is getting at. Um, cause not everyone here is, is in, uh, uh, the relationship of the covenant relationship of marriage. So what's got that going to look like for those who are single or who are dating? Yeah. Well, 
Y'all listen close. He's going to tell you all you need to know. Some of this goes back to what you talked about last week, and, and you and I had discussed this because we thought we might get a question similar yeah. to this. Um, when we talked about a while ago that our young people don't think like we do, you know, on different issues. For instance, my daughter came home, my oldest daughter came home from college one time with a little diamond stud in her nose, a little earring. My dad had a fit. I just didn't see that as a hill I wanted to die on. I just didn't see that as a big deal. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with my dad. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. It's just, just a different way of looking at things, you know. Um, but with our young people, they see sex differently sometimes. You know, oral sex is not the same thing. Um, some of the other things that maybe don't, um, um, you know, end up with intercourse, um, but are kind of on the periphery or really even close to that. Uh, maybe aren't considered as bad, you know, like you said last week, pornography is considered, you know, kind of like it's a victimless crime. Um, but I think, I think, I think any sort of, any sort of activity that, um, is, is sexually stimulating, um, in, in any way should be, should be avoided. Uh, I mean, if, if arousal is happening, then that is an activity that should be saved for marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I also think that it's important as we're setting boundaries and talking to our young people, the, the, time, the time to set boundaries is not in the moment. <laughs> right. You know, when you've, when you've reached a certain point, self-control is not going to happen. And so the, the, there has to be boundaries set when you're thinking clearly, and the boundaries have to be set for, far enough away um, that you're still thinking clearly, right. you know, um, in, in that moment. And so... The, the truth is the boundaries need to be further away than all of our friends and peers and culture are going to tell us. And I would say not putting yourself in a position to fail. Absolutely. I know as parents we never allowed our kids to be with their girlfriend or boyfriend in, in their room, mm-hmm. especially with the door closed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you were to be out right. in front, out in the open. You know, don't wait, like you said, until you're that close to draw boundaries. I mean, be proactive about it. Um, you know, don't put yourself in a position to fail in the backseat of a car. You know, you're probably going to fail in that. So be, be careful with that as well. Well, and, and one, of the, one of the valuable things you can do is live in a community of Christian accountability. And, and Absolutely. you know, you need to have, you need to have friends that, that, that aren't okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have friends that are willing to ask. You need to have people that you can share your struggles with. You need to have people that are going to go on those dates with you to help you keep those boundaries in place. Uh, it, I mean, it's important that... Um, that we we balance our relationships and and keep those boundaries in place and 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 we don't we, we just can't get off balance and when we if we get too emotionally close that makes us want to get too physically close if we get too spiritually close that makes us want to get too physically close we need to keep our emotions and um, and our and our spirituality and our and our physical um, boundaries uh, balanced and appropriate as we're heading towards marriage um, Dating shouldn't happen just to date, Yeah. period. Um, it has an end goal in sight, and, and it has to be paced in yeah. a way that can get us to that end goal in a healthy way. Good. Sorry we didn't get to everybody's question. There was a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can pick this up at some other point and, and maybe answer some of these. Or if maybe you want to come and talk to us privately, then maybe we can, uh, maybe we can answer your question that way as well. Uh, appreciate you being here tonight. Um, if we can help you with uh, anything that we've talked about tonight or perhaps any other uh, issue that you have that you want to, you know, want us to pray about or maybe come to us in private and we can talk about and pray about. If you're not a child of God and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and 
begin a daily walk with him. Uh, whatever need you might have tonight, Clinton's going to lead us in the song. We offer this invitation. Uh, we're going to stand and sing, and if you need anything, why don't you come? <laughs> 